Spirit of God. We know you're always here, but you're not always sensed, and we want you to know that we invite you to have your way in our lives. For what is life without the knowledge of God? It is, as Shakespeare said, it's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, yet signifying nothing. Come, Holy Spirit, make our lives more significant through filling us with your presence and opening our minds to your word. We ask in Messiah's name. Amen. Amen. Many years ago, I was involved in a wedding of a worker with Jews for Jesus, a man and wife. And uh, the wife had parents who decided not to come to the wedding because they were very upset with the Yeshua faith of their daughter. And um, subsequently, it turned out the daughter had prayed for her father for years. Her father was a psychiatrist, a very manipulative psychiatrist, I might say. And uh, she, on the basis of Acts chapter 16, verse 31, which says, Believe in the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, and you shall be saved, and your house. Based on her understanding of that verse, she prayed that her father would accept Yeshua. And when he died without accepting Yeshua, she abandoned the faith. This is an example, and I think some of you have other examples of people you know, of people who look at promises of God and draw, un draw unfortunate conclusions. And then when, they, uh, when those conclusions don't come true, uh, it creates a crisis for them. And today, one of the issues we want to look at together is uh, the grandiose promises of God. He makes extraordinary promises to us. Sometimes we misunderstand them, but even the ones we do understand, people have different reactions to it. I'm going to talk about that today. So the theme we've been exploring since last week, and I think it's a good theme, is that while the Bible is the fuel, prayer is the oxygen in which the fire of God's spirit burns in our lives energizing and illuminating everything else. The scripture, the word of God is the fuel. The spirit is the atmosphere in which we encounter God and in which the fire of the spirit burns. Now, when I talk to you about prayer, I'm not assuming you're losers. Uh, when I instruct you, uh, as I am going to do, I feel it's my responsibility. It's not because I'm judging you to be deficient. How do, what do I know? But it's because I know these things are important to the life of the people of God. And uh, if it doesn't apply to you, it surely applies to somebody else you know. So don't let it go to waste. Okay? The God of Israel wants us to grow in relationship with him. If you think about it, uh, you find this all over the Bible. God wrestles with Israel for for hundreds of years, turns out thousands of years. And why is he wrestling with Israel? 
because he wants Israel to know him deeply. God wants us to know him deeply. The Shema says so. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you this day shall be in your heart, and they'll teach them diligently to your children. God wants us to know him deeply. Yeshua said so. He repeated the Shema. He also said, seek second or third the kingdom of God. First, I, I was out of class today that was covered. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you occupy yourselves with will be added to you. But seek first the kingdom of God. Experience so. In your own life, and I'm sure this, I know it's true of me. If it's not true of you, well, I admire you greatly. At times when you push God to the periphery in some way, when something else becomes number one in your life, God soon becomes a cardboard cutout. He loses all dimensionality. He becomes two-dimensional and simply symbolic. And that teaches us that God is not meant to be out there. He's meant to be right here. He wants us to grow in relationship with himself. And one of the ways in which God draws us into relationship with himself is that he makes exceedingly great promises. Now, I'm going to read some of these to you. If you will hold on for just a moment. Here we go. Uh, talk among yourselves for a minute. He makes exceedingly great and what he calls exceedingly great and precious promises in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me read you the kinds of promises God makes. And this is, he's not kidding, but one of the reasons he, he wants to draw us. So, Jeremiah 33, Call to me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Deuteronomy 31.8, this is a passage I'm depending upon in my desire to go to New York and minister there. The Lord himself goes before you, or he will be with you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Um, in the book of Isaiah, we read about King Ahaz. King Ahaz is terrified in, in Isaiah chapter 7 because he's the king of Judah. And the kingdom of Israel and the Arameans, the Syrians, are, are in league together. They're going to attack him. And he's scared. And he's been an unfaithful king. And he's gone into the habit of not really believing God, not believing God's promises. He's had other fish to fry. Now he's in crisis. Isaiah the prophet goes to him and he makes, uh, on behalf of God, and he says this, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as the sky. Well, wouldn't you love a prophet of God to say that God has sent me to you? He says, ask. Ask. Let it be as deep as Sheol as high as the sky. And Ahaz, whose Faith muscles were atrophied a long time ago, he says. Uh, he says, I will not put the Lord to the test. It sounds spiritual, doesn't it? 
There was nothing spiritual about it. And many of us, the danger is that at times in our lives, and with people we know whose faith is weak, they don't want to put God to the test. Uh, they don't want to step out on a limb with God because their faith has been atrophied. The New Covenant scriptures get even more pointed because now the Mashiach has come and the age to come is leaking through into the present age. We're living in the overlap between the present age and the age to come. And the age to come is leaking through. We live, you never heard of this, between the already and the not yet. It's something I invented. <laughs> and it's leaking through. And look at the promises in the New Covenant. They get even more astounding. John 5. This is the confidence we have in his presence. If we ask anything that accords with his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, then we know that we have what we have asked from him. 1 John chapter 5. Matthew 17. Have trust. If you have trust as tiny as a grain of mustard seed, you'll be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Indeed, nothing will be impossible for you. It's easy to say amen. It's hard to take it seriously. And uh, John 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is, I mean, just open your eyes as you read your Bible and look for these things. It's pretty astounding. One more, Mark chapter 11. Yes, I tell you that whoever does not doubt in his heart but trusts that what he says will happen can say to this mountain, this is the parallel to the other one, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, Trust that you are receiving it, and it will be yours. Now, these promises are grandiose, to say the least. And I could preach a series on, on this, and there are things that need to be taken seriously, but I'm going to only going to look at one facet of it today. There are two common reactions to these kinds of promises. Some rejoice, and they say hallelujah and amen. Some rejoice, and some recoil. They retreat because they say, oh, no, this is too much for me. I, I don't dare say what I'm really thinking, but they recoil from it. So moving forward for today, what are our goals? I want to accomplish two goals. I want to get a better handle on God's too-good-to-be-true promises. That's what I'm calling them. At least for some people's minds, it's too good to be true. I want to get a little handle on that. And secondly, I want to enhance our prayer lives. You know, we've only touched the hem of his garment, the best of us. There's so much more to learn about God. So we're always, we should always be in the market for enhancing our prayer lives because our prayer lives are the atmosphere where we encounter God. So don't say to me, excuse me, Rabbi, but my prayer life is already enhanced. Well, that's nice. But um, you ain't seen nothing yet. So, uh, just a moment. So, um, I'm having technical difficulties. 
So today, here's a three-stage roadmap of, where we're, of what we're doing today. We've got one challenge. We've already covered that, sweeping promises from God. We've got one question that I'm going to suggest that you should ask when you pray that will really enhance your prayer life. And then one tool to improve our batting average in prayer. That's where I'm going. So I want to look at one passage because, you know, we could look at 11 different passages, but that would be overkill. One passage, John chapter 14. Um, this is from what's known as the Upper Room Discourse. Yeshua is talking to his Talmudim on the night uh, in which he will be betrayed. And the next day, he will give his life for us on the cross. And they don't really get that. They don't understand it. It's hidden from them. And it starts in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. To me, it's like the Holy of, especially 17, it's like the Holy of Holies of the Birch Shah. It's really powerful. So he starts out. Uh, first, he talks about his intimacy with them. And he says, don't let your hearts, don't let yourselves be disturbed. Trust in God and trust in me. In my father's house, there are many places to live. If, the, if there weren't, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Since I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'll return to you and take you with me so that you can be what I am. Now, that's very intimate. It's loving reassurance. He goes on, verse 4 and following. Now he talks about intimacy, not with them, but intimacy with the Father. He says, furthermore, you know where I'm going, and you know the way there. And Toma, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Yeshua said, I am the way, except through me. Now he's talking about intimacy with the Father. If you have known me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him. In fact, you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Yeshua replied to him, have I been with you so long without your knowing me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how, how do you say, show us the Father? So there, he's talking about for them and for us, intimacy with the Father. So we have intimacy with Yeshua, intimacy with the Father. And we'll learn later, especially in chapter 16, that uh, it's through the Holy Spirit that Yeshua will send that this intimacy is mediated to us and it expands in us. And I don't have time to go into that. Man, just trust me on that one. So... Uh, hold on, I just had technical difficulties again. Now he talks about intimacy with, within God's triunity. This is extraordinary. Never saw this until a year or two ago. We're promised not only intimacy with Yeshua, not only are we promised intimacy with the Father, but we're promised, we're invited into the intimacy that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share with each other. It's called perichoresis. You never heard of that word either. I, I know your school. You don't learn this stuff. Perichoresis. And I'll talk to you about that sometime. Perichoresis is not a singer. So, okay? But it's the, it's, 
that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit remain distinct, but they interpenetrate each other. And we are invited into that communality of the beingness of God. You're going to ask me to explain that to you? No one can explain it to you. We just know that it's so. So he says, don't you believe that I am united with the Father? I'm in union with the Father. And the Father is united with me. Later on he's going to say, uh, Yeshua is praying in John 17, he says to the Father, I and them and thou and me, that they may be in us as we are in one each other. We're invited in. What I'm telling you, I'm not saying on my own initiative, my Father living in me is doing his works. Trust me that I am united with the Father. The Father is united in me. And if you can't, then trust because of the works themselves. So then he moves from that. He's talked about intimacy with him, intimacy with the Father, intimacy within the beingness of God. And then he talks about it's an intimacy that is shared with us. Yes, indeed, I tell you that whoever trusts in me will also do the works that I do. You're coming in and you're gonna, you, I'm going to pass on to you the capacities which I have demonstrated to you in my life with you. Indeed, he, that is whoever trusts in him, will do greater works because I'm going to the Father. And we learn later that what he means is I'm going to the Father and from going to the Father, he's going to send the Spirit to be with us forever. That's why his going to the Father is the key to our participating in living a Yeshua-type life in the midst of the world. Because he did what he did through the Spirit dwelling in him, and he's going to send the Spirit to dwell in us so that we can do the same works that he did. I know that sounds big and grandiose. Yes, absolutely. In fact, whatever you ask for in my name, I will do. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Yeshua says to the Father in John 17, Father, I have glorified you in the world. Now restore to me the glory which I had with you before the world was made. Yeshua's lived to glorify the Father. And the Spirit is coming to inhabit us in order that the Father that 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 we might glorify the Father through glorifying the Son. He says, if you ask <laughs> if you ask me for something, if you ask for something in my name, I will do it. It doesn't mean to pray in Messiah's name. I'm glad that Harlan Green is here today because he's a lawyer. And he would tell you, and I won't ask you to tell you, him to tell you now, but if, if uh, let's say he delegates me, which he'd never do because he knows me, if he delegated me to be his representative in a certain manner, legally, then I go and I act in his name. I act on his behalf. I'm, in a sense, I'm an extension of him in that situation. So to pray in Messiah's name means to come to prayer as a representative of what matters to the Messiah. Uh, when we come into prayer, praying in his name means we are 
are as much as possible. We have made his passions, his heart, his mind, his will to be our passions, our heart, our mind, his will. Then we have a right to act on his behalf. Otherwise, if I just went into a bank in Beverly Hills and said, hi, Harlan Green sent me, and, uh, you know, and I want to do business with you, they'd call Harlan Green and he'd say, uh, dial 911 and get rid of this guy. So, we've talked about, uh, what did I call I call the one question. Now we're talking about, uh, we talked about, what was the first one? What's we talked about one issue. Now we're talking about one question. This is the question that I think we ought to use when we go to prayer. The first thing we should say to God, I believe, when we go to prayer, is basically some version of, God, what do you want? When I pray, I got a call yesterday from a friend of mine named Jill. She was in Florida. Uh, or actually, she's probably back home in Maryland. Her husband is in the hospital, just had uh, stents put in his heart. And uh, when I, uh, she wanted me to pray for him. I did. But when you go to prayer for a matter, the first question is, what does God want in this situation? It's not, God, would you do for me what I want? But first you ask yourself, God, what do you want for how? And then pray about that. So you can pick one of these two questions as, as your one question. Or you might alternate. How can God receive glory in this situation? Or perhaps, what does God want in this situation? You see, that's different from going to God simply with a shopping list and beginning with you. Always, the question is, God, what do you want in this situation? And then make, your, make his will his heart, your will and heart, then you're praying in Yeshua's name. You are praying in union with what matters to him. Does that make sense? All right. We're almost done. One tool. How, how can we make sure we are praying in God's will? That we're asking what he wants. How can we be assured that something might bring him glory? That's a good question. Now, look at this. Next, please. You know what one of those things is? Anybody who wears glasses or contact lenses, you know what that is. You go to the optometrist, and he's got all of these lenses that he, he, he overlaps with each other, and he tests them out, and he tests, tests them out this way, that way, the other way, in order, and he says, which is clearer, this or this? And... Yeshua has given us a set of lenses by which we can gauge if we're seeing the will of God, the heart of God, clearly, or if we're on the track of what will bring God glory. Next one. Here are those lenses. Use the Lord's Prayer as a series of lenses for seeing the will of God in the situation for which you're praying. You know, this struck me recently. Normally we think of the Lord's Prayer as just as, as a prayer that we add to our prayer agenda. 
we pray the words. But I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting using this as a grid, as a series of lenses through which to evaluate each thing you pray about. There it is, our Father in heaven. So let's, let's take this guy Howard. If I was praying for Howard in the hospital, he is a believer, his wife is a believer, uh, uh, and unexpectedly he's got uh, heart issues, and they just came back from months away from home, and now he's got pneumonia. The hospital gifted him with pneumonia. So when I pray for him, I'd say, I'd be an, a father in heaven. I'd say, God, you're, you're my father. You're Howard's father. You're Jill's father. Uh, so I ask you, Father, that you would hear my prayer for Howard. May your name be kept holy. May whatever happens in Howard's situation, may it reflect well on you. May it bring you glory. May your kingdom come and soon. May, not only may the world be covered with your presence so that your will is done everywhere as it is in heaven, but may your kingdom be manifest in Howard's room. May the powers of the kingdom, may the glory of the kingdom, may the health and the wellness of the kingdom leak through to Howard. Give us today the food we need. Would you give Howard and Jill what they need for today? Would you forgive any sins that Howard or Jill might have at this time that are obscuring their relationship with you as they forgive those who sin against them? And Lord, don't lead them into temptation. Don't let this situation be more than they can handle. Lord, deliver them from evil. You know, see, you see that? Now, is this a magic bullet? No. But it is a tool to use in your prayers to, because we know that Yeshua cares about all these issues because he gave it to his disciples as a way to pray. And using this as a grid or as a series of lenses which you look at a situation will help us to be more confident that what we're praying is for God's glory and according to his will. So, reviewing then, one challenge, that was the word I couldn't remember before, one challenge, God's great, exceedingly great promises, and how can we see them fulfilled in our lives? One question, either how can God receive glory in this situation, or what does God want in this situation? I suggest you bring that, that question into each time you pray. And one tool the Lord's Prayer as a series of lenses through which to see more clearly the path to God's glory. So I hope that we'll go out from this place, you and me, and prove God's promises. Yes, indeed, I tell you that whoever trusts in Yeshua will also do the works that he did. Indeed, he will do, or she will do greater works because Yeshua went to the Father. In fact, Whatever you ask for in his name, he will do, so that the Father may receive glory through the Son. If you ask him for something in his name, from within his will, his heart, his passion, he will do it. And may God bless us all.
I'm going to ask Roy to come up for a minute. Uh, Roy is one of the people in the congregation that is known as a person who prays a lot. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, all right? Um, how long would you say that you've been passionate about prayer? Was it from the very beginning or did it happen later? Um, no, it happened later. Um, I had a woman that I was friend from the synagogue, and we spent a lot of time together, and she was really mentoring me into prayer. Right. So that's a good idea, by the way. If you, if you, if you know somebody whose prayer life you admire and you sense that you want your own prayer life to improve, uh, that's good. Um, one more question. Do you pray each day on impulse, or do you have, do you make it a matter of your schedule? Do you, do you predetermine, do you set aside time for it? Good question. Uh, it's also not only the mentor, but also I spend a lot of time weekly studying the Bible with a group of women. So that's really helped me. Um, no, um, I have learned throughout my life that I have to put God first. And and really, and when the kids were little, uh, this was yes, this was God's doing. When the kids were little, we had to get up and go to school and be ready. But I used to wake up. I mean, I'm not just saying this, but as encouragement to everybody, I used to wake up 5:30 in the morning every day, and yes. make that a schedule. Thank you. That's it. <laughs> I've known other women like this. Um, Ellen Goldsmith was the busiest woman on the face of the earth. She worked like 16 hours a day. But she was up at 4 o'clock every morning, uh, reading the Bible for an hour or two and praying. It was a matter of, of, of habit. So I'm done for now. May God bless us all. May we pray not because it's a nice religious thing to do, but because... We're hungry for God. Bless you. Shabbat shalom.